Okay, let's close the eyes, sit up nice and straight, tall, relaxed. Recite home three times, take a deep inhalation. Softly open the eyes. So we'll do this uh, invocation first. And I put it on the screen. You're welcome to watch the screen if you're not familiar with it. Or if you are, you can sing along. This is the invocation to Sage Patanjali. Inhale. Yogin chittasya paden vacham malam sharirasya chavadyakem yopakarotam pravaram muninam patanjalim pranjaliran tosmi patanjalim pranjaliran tosmi Abahu Purushakaram Shankha Chakra Siddharinam Sahasrashira Sangshvetam Pranamami Patanjalim so This is the invocation, kind of a recognition of the greatness of sage Patanjali. So, Ashley, do you mind reading the English translation for everyone? I respectfully bow down with folded hands and offer my sacrifice to Saj Bhagavan, the Tainer Bhagavan, the highest among the moons, Sage, who has presented the remedies for removing the impurities of the body through his treaties on Avadi of language through his shoes on grammar and the impurities of the cheetah through his treaties on yoga. I bow to Pantajali, whose upper body is of human shape, who is carrying on couch a discus and sword and has 1,000 right head. So. This is recognition, like I said, of Sage Patanjali's greatness because he is credited with all these three 
science is the most important for the body, speech, and the mind. So for the body, physical body, the Ayurveda, the medical science called Ayurveda, for speech, he gave the best or the most exhaustive commentary on the Sanskrit grammar. And for, for mind, of course, for the mind, we have yoga. <laughs> you know that. So that's why he's given a lot of credit. Okay. So uh, that's who Sage Patamini was. His, I mean, his time period is not, not known at all. I mean, most people tend to believe that he was at least 2,500 years ago, or maybe even older, some claim all the way up to 4,000 years old. Years. Not, not clear, but uh, ancient. But he is, the, he is the one who gave us this entire science and, and wisdom of, of yoga. So that's what we've been studying. And actually, those of you who are like, actually, you haven't joined these classes before, have you? No, I haven't. Yeah, and and I know Kunal hasn't. So, uh, so you're joining pretty much at the very very end of this whole uh, round. You know, we started this sequence almost two years ago. I think it's been almost two years now, and uh, we are now at the very very final. A leg of this of this round then might finish if not today we will definitely finish by next session this round of, of yoga sutras i'm so glad that you joined because at least this will give you an exposure to what it's all about and then hopefully it will motivate you to to continue study further on your own maybe okay so the Yoga Sutra, a very, very quick kind of overview uh, for, the, for both you and Kunal, I mean Kunal and Ashley. The, the Yoga Sutra is a, is a set of 195 sutras, sutras are statements basically. And they are divided into four chapters called Padas. The first chapter is called Samadhi Pada, which, which actually defines yoga and goes through a nice discussion of what samadhi is, what the final state of the mind is when you're in the deepest state of yoga. It's called samadhi and there are different stages of samadhi. He also talks about the concept of Ishvara or God in the first chapter and a few other topics. In second chapter, he talks about the, the, whole, the whole concept of, of suffering. The term he uses is klesha. Klesha means something that's bothering you, something that's troubling you. Uh, affliction, people translate that as affliction, pain, any kind of. In the, in the modern context, you can call it uh, stress, basically. That's what it is. All right. So in the second chapter, it starts out with that, but then it goes into the discussion on. On the uh, concept of reincarnation, rebirth, and then tells us why we suffer, what's the cause of suffering, and finally he says, 
Let me give you this formula called the eight limbs of yoga. And uh, if you practice this religiously, you will end your suffering. Okay. So that's what he's been uh, talking about in the second chapter. So eight limbs of yoga, the discussion continues into chapter three, where he goes on to describe the, the different, different types of meditation which can give us actually, it's called Vibhuti Pada. And it talks about different no, uh, supernormal powers, supernatural, you can call them supernormal, superhuman, <laughs> so to say, all the uh, powers that one can attain through different, different types of meditation, different types of total deep engrossment. Okay, that's in chapter three. And then in chapter four, he goes into deep into the whole discussion of the state of liberation and how do you get there finally and how do you feel when you get there, etc. That's called the Kaivalya Pada. So that's the chapter four uh, discussion. Now in this, in this, uh, these sessions that I've been doing, what I do is I cover uh, the, the full length of chapters one and two. And then about 15 verses we did from chapter three. So that's pretty much all that we cover in this, in this uh, discussions because chapter three, like I said, is more about the supernormal powers and we really don't need to discuss them at this stage. Once we become much, much more familiar and we have a very uh, well-established yoga practice, including deep states of meditation, then we can talk about both chapter three and four at some other point at some later time. But for that, you have to be uh, a little more prepared mentally by, by doing a lot of what they call sadhana, as they call it. What is use sadhana means spiritual practice. So then you will be uh, at a stage where you can understand concepts in chapter three and four. So that's what uh, what we've been doing. And then, you know, toward the end of this whole thing, because the final stage of, of the eight limbs of yoga is called Samadhi. So that's what we've been studying now in the last several segments, the concept of Samadhi. Samadhi is the, is the final state of the mind where you are kind of totally engrossed, totally, uh, focused on something at a very deep level, okay? So, uh, so, you know, the very uh, first sutra in chapter three, it talks about you know, the whole concept of dharana, dhyana and samadhi. Now, if you don't know, let me just very quickly review the eight limbs of yoga. Okay, the first two are called Yama and Niyamas, Yamas and Niyamas, they are more like you know, social guidelines, ethical guidelines, personal guidelines as to how you want to live life, how you want to behave with others, uh, what kind of attitude, what kind of uh, mental state you should have, you should not tell lies, you should not steal anything, you should not hurt anybody, those are the kind of things that are mentioned in the Yamas and Niyamas. Then there is of course the concept of Asana, which is the ability to sit for a long period of time. That's called asana. Then pranayama is the ability to change your breathing patterns in different ways. So that can bring a lot of benefits to us. 
pranayama, breathing practices. And then, of course, the next one is pratyahara, which is the, uh, the, the ability to withdraw the senses. When you withdraw the senses inward, then your mind can stay disengaged or disconnected from any input that you might receive through the five senses. Okay. So, you know, there's a less chance of being distracted and better chance of going into deeper states of meditation. That's called Pratyahara. And then the final three stages are called Dharana, Dhyana, and Samadhi. They are stages of meditation. Dharana is where you are trying to build a kind of a one-pointed, single-pointed focus in your mind. Okay. That's Dharana. And Dhyana is where you are now able to continue your meditation uh, at a deeper level. So you're focusing on one single object and it's called the object of meditation. And then you continue with that. And then you finally, when you are able to maintain that, that concentration for a long enough time, you can then migrate or transition to the final stage, which is called Samadhi, where what happens is that you are able to stay focused on that object so deeply that you are able to completely stop any other thoughts from coming into the mind, almost completely. Right, let's, let's put it that way. <laughs> and that's the final stage of of samadhi where you have the, the uh, mantra or, or, the, or the object of meditation in your mind. But then Patanjali says once that is established finally, there could even come a time when you will automatically transition to the very, very last stage of meditation, which he calls nirbija in Sanskrit. Nirbija means no seeds, seedless. That means even that object that you've had, if you have been chanting a mantra, for example, even that goes away. Then your mind is like a blank, clean slate. Nothing, nothing going on there. <laughs> Very deep state. All right. So that's the kind of the background that uh, I just wanted to give you very briefly. So now, uh, again, a very quick overview of what we have studied so far. And this is the definition of dharana or concentration, which is, I'm just going to read it quickly. It's the confining of the mind within a limited area, object of concentration, uh, within a limited area, okay? And, you know, desha literally means a physical location. So most commentators believe it is either your, your focus on some physical parts of the body, like your third eye location, your maybe your throat area, your heart center, your navel center, etc. Those are the physical locations where you can focus. Or some external object, like you be in our meditation classes, I do a lot of this practice called candle gazing. Okay, so I'm actually using an external object, a candle flame, and we look at that flame for a long period of time and develop a deep sense of focus. So all these are, they, focus, they fall under the category of dharana. You can, do a, you can do a pranayama practice as dharana practice. You do pranayama for a long period of time. Once your mind feels focused enough inward, drawn enough, then you can go into the mantra meditation. Okay. So that's the uh, dharana. 
And dhyana is the uninterrupted flow of the mind towards the object of meditation. Okay. So very similar in definition, but here the difference is that now there is an uninterrupted flow as, as long as it's there. Okay. But even every now and then it will get disrupted. But as long as you have an uninterrupted flow, for that duration of time, you are in a state of meditation, basically. But the object could be different here now. It can be the same object you, that you use for dharana, or it could be a different object now. And most commonly used object is a mantra. Mantra is a, is a word that you chant in your mind repeatedly, and that becomes your focal point, your object of meditation. Okay? Like I said, in dharana, you could focus on, on an external object. You could focus on on the rising sun, you can focus on some some sound like you know if there's a bell ringing, you can focus on that sound. You could focus on the ticking sound of a clock. All those are objects for external focus, which you can use as dharana. Once you feel that you have deep enough focus, then you can transition to your mantra meditation. All right, so that's called the dhyana meditation. And then finally, when, when, when during the meditation, when consciousness only of the object of meditation remains and not, not even of itself, that is called samadhi. So like, I don't know, right now I'm sitting and I'm saying, I'm meditating on, let's say I'm chanting a mantra and my mantra is peace. So I'm just chanting peace, 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 peace in my mind, right? But then I'm aware of, a few other things also at this point, maybe there is a concept of peace in my mind which relates to peace in my family, maybe it's peace with my co-workers, maybe it's peace in the Middle East, maybe it's peace in Afghanistan, you know, things like that. So all those concepts might still be there in your mind, okay? but you're still focusing only on peace, nothing else. And at the same time, you're also aware that I am the meditator at this point. I am meditating, I'm sitting and meditating, and I'm chanting my mantra, and I want to go into a deeper state. But there comes a point when all that else, all the other stuff falls away. Then you're not thinking of, of Afghanistan, not the Middle East, not your co-workers. If you had the concept of peace only related, let's say, to some member of your family, that's all you're focusing on. And at that point, you even forget that you are the meditator. What remains in your mind at that point is the concept of peace. You are completely absorbed with that. Everything in your, in, in your being is all peace. That's called samadhi. Okay? These are difficult concepts and difficult states to attain, but we need to understand the concepts. All right? Okay. So then he says that... Uh, when you have all these three, uh, Patanjali says when you when you do them together on a single object, it's called sanyama. And then most of the concepts in chapter three on the pada are related to sanyama on something. That means you use the same object for dharana, dhyana, and meditation. All right. So uh, then he uh, goes into two more divisions of samadhi where he says that, you know, this samadhi, while you have this object of meditation in your mind, which is 
Let's say a mantra. While you have that in your mind, you can go through these different stages of samadhi. Okay. So what he says is, and he gives it the name sampragnata. Sampragnata means with cognition, with an awareness of what you're meditating on. Okay. And sampragnata samadhi is that which is accompanied by gross awareness, subtle awareness, bliss, and a sense of pure I amness, pure sense of being. Okay. So this is <clears throat> these are the four broad category stages of samadhi where you have still an object or a mantra in your mind going on. Now, what he says is that when you go past that, okay, then you don't even need that mantra in your mind. You've gone beyond the need for any support, any prop to, to sustain your meditation. And all that remained in your mind is just an impression. Okay, impression of what? That nothingness, <laughs> that, and, uh, that, that complete empty emptiness, that's the impression you leave in your mind. And that's all that remains in there. Nothing else remains in there. And that's called a sampragyata samadhi, or samadhi without a, even a seed, without even a, a concept of mantra or an object of meditation. Okay. So then we moved on to these uh, sutras, uh, later part of chapter one. So he has, in this one, he defined the term called samapatti, which is very similar to samadhi. But again, you, know, you have to look at these commentaries because Patanjali doesn't describe or define anything. He just gives you these words. You're supposed to understand them. <laughs> and <clears throat> So what he says when you have a deep absorption in something and uh, that happens only when the mind has been subdued completely so the the definition here is the just as the naturally pure crystal assumes shapes and colors of objects placed near it if it's a pure crystal it can reflect whatever is placed next to it if you place a a red flower is going to become red. If you, play, you put it on a, a blue uh, cloth, it's going to become blue. So just as the naturally pure crystal assumes shapes and colors of objects placed near it, so the yogi's mind, with its totally weakened modification, that means whatever is happening in the mind, that's been weakened now. There's nothing much happening in the mind. Okay. And it becomes clear and balanced and attains the state of devoid, state which is devoid of differentiation between the knower, knowable, and knowledge. So I'm meditating on something and I know other objects, and those are knowables, but I have, like I said, you know, there is no distinction now. All I have in my mind is the object that I'm working on. That's it. That's called the absorption called samapatti. Okay, and then he defines four different stages of samapatti. So one is called Savitarka, which is in this samadhi, the name, the meaning and knowledge, all these are mixed up. Okay, so again, to give a quick example, you know, like I said, let's, let's say if I'm meditating on, on this word peace, okay? So peace is a word, right? It's a, it has, it's a name of something. 
Okay, name of a concept, name of a situation, peace. Okay, so that's called the word Shabda. Now, it, it has an essential meaning for you. Like I said, for you, it's, it could mean something very specific. It could mean peace in your family. It could mean peace in your neighborhood, multiple things, like I said, okay? That's the meaning. There's a word, and then you have identified a meaning to it, right? That's the essential meaning. And then there is knowledge, all kinds of knowledge. Like I said, even though the word peace, you are, you are focusing on peace in your family, let's say. But then you're still aware that there is unrest going on in all, in all different places in the world. There is unrest going on in Middle East, Afghanistan, India, wherever you look, maybe in your neighborhood some, somewhere, there's some shooting going on. And all that is happening and you're fully aware of all that. But it is still related to the concept of peace. So as long as you are able to maintain your mind within these, this framework, within this sphere, this sphere, then you are in a state of meditation called Savitarka. Okay? And it is Savitarka applies to some gross aspect of your meditation, meditation, gross aspect. Okay. Right? So that Savitarka is gross. But then he goes into a definition of Nirvitarka, which is when you are able to clean out the mind, which was cluttering your mind, which was causing you to think of other things, and that can be cleaned out, then the knowledge of the object shines, and it is divide of the distinction of name and quality. So this is the same thing on, you still focus on, on, on a gross aspect of the object, and it's called Virvitarka. Other things go away, but only focus on the meaning now. Not on the name, not on the word, not on the phrase, not on the essential knowledge, but just the essence of that. Of that. Like I said, if you're focusing on only on peace in the family, that sort of remains in your mind. That's called Nirvitarka. And then the next stage is Savichara, very similar. And uh, the, the difference is that Nirvitarka and Savitarka, they were with the focus on the gross aspect, this is on subtle aspect now, okay? So that's what the difference, basically difference is, subtle aspect, okay? And, uh, you know, I, I do want to maybe before I go on, I, I've shown this in almost every class, every session, but this is a very, very important, uh, uh, slide because it really gives us an idea as what we are talking about. So let me spend a few minutes on this one again. I know most of you have seen this before. <laughs> I hope you don't mind. Okay. All right. So this is uh, a chart. And it, it represents the concept of evolution as given in the Sankhya philosophy. Now, Sankhya is another philosophical system. And Patanjali you know, took that system, the main, main tenets of that system, and then based his own yoga philosophy on that Sankhya philosophy. And this is the, the very fundamental 
structure that Sankhya uses throughout its, its discussion on the, on the concepts presented there. So here, the main thing we have to understand is there are two broad entities, broad categories of entities. One is Purusha, the other is Prakriti. This Purusha is the, you can think of it as the soul, the Atma or the pure consciousness. And then Prakriti is the, is the, the material aspect of our being. Okay. Everything that is material. When it is not manifest, then it's called Mula Prakriti. I should write the word Mula why I didn't write that. Yeah. Mula means the root, root uh, structure, root pattern. Okay. So this is when uh, there is nothing going on. There is no creation. But when creation happens, the first thing that gets created is called the intellect. Mahat or Buddhi, those are the two Sanskrit names. In English, we call it the intellect. From intellect comes the ego, which also is called ahankara in Sanskrit, ahankara or the ego. Okay, that's how the evolution has been shown in the Sankhya chart. Okay, and then you go into the concept of the mind. We all know what the mind is, you know. And then mind is connected with these organs. It's connected with the five sense organs: the eye, ear, nose, skin, tongue. Eye is for the uh, See, now you know that, what they do. And then the five organs of action, which are the hands, feet, speech, which is through the tongue, and then the elimination, and then procreation. So there are organs of elimination and organs of procreation. So these are the, they are called the 10 or 11, they are called the indriyas. Indriyas are the, or the sense organs. These 11 are called sense organs, indriyas. Then this is what's called the Tanmatra. And basically, it has the, the subtle sense perceptions of sound, touch, form, taste, and smell. And from these five individually, you create these five great elements. So the sound will create ether or space. Touch will create air. Form will create fire. Taste will create water. And smell create earth. Actually, you know, there is a little more to it than I mentioned here. What they say is that this earth is has not only smell, but it has all the other elements above that. So taste, form, touch, and sound. Water, not only taste, but all the three above that. It doesn't have smell, but it has all the three. Same thing, fire has all the two above this plus the other two. Air has these two, and ether is all pure sound. That's how they kind of define it. The majority, the, the, the dominant element in earth is smell, but there is a small proportion of these. Well, I've seen this thing a lot of times, and it just hit me looking at this, that these subtle senses are coming down from the ego. Mm -hmm. Yes. So your ego will influence the perceptions that you have of these senses, right? Well, it, it's or is that true? Like, like when you how yeah. you associate certain smells in your egos, and like when you're a kid, you associate that horrible taste, and yeah. now you can't get it out of that perception. Right. Well, that that is the perception. Well, this is in terms of the creation. It's created by the 
by the ahamkara or the ego, the perception is happening on the left side through the eyes, the ear, nose, and, and it goes to the mind, and that goes to the ego. Yeah, it's backwards. But even still, like and then the ego is the same thing. It plays the same role. Exactly what you say. Okay. It's exactly the same role it's playing. It's like sometimes when you're a kid, you taste the taste of something because you associate it with something. Then when you get be a grown up, you realize that it was it doesn't taste that bad anymore, right? <laughs> well, even adults you do that. <laughs> why, why, why blame the kids? We, we do that all the time. We we look at something, you know, and then we say. I don't want it. It's something totally new, right? We do that all the time. Why don't you want it? Because I had something which looked very similar and it was horrendous. So we do that too. <laughs> okay. So this is roughly, you know, how the, the Sankhya philosophy has been presented. I mean, the, the evolution concept has been presented in Sankhya. And Patanjali has used most of these concepts in the Yoga Sutras. Okay. So let me go back and uh, now let's let's move on to number. Once again, this like I said, there is there is the uh, the samadhi that we talked about with Savitarka and Nirvitarka, where still focusing on the gross aspect of whatever object you are focusing on. And now we move to the, the uh, Savichara and Nirvichara. So that's where we are starting from this week. Okay. So the way we do that is that uh, you can mute yourself and then you know, repeat after me because I, I want you to at least try to repeat these Sanskrit words as best as you can. It doesn't matter if you get them right or not. Okay. So the first one is etaya eva. I'm breaking these words. Etaya eva. Savichara. Nirvichara. Cha. Sukshma vishaya. Vyakhyata. Okay. So, etaya eva. Savichara. Nirvichara. Cha. Sukshma vishaya. Vyakhyata. That's the, the whole sentence. Now, the meaning is that etaya e means in the same manner. What, what manner are we talking about? Same manner as we understood the, in the previous sutra, the, the gross, the gross uh, uh, elements, or, or focusing on the gross aspect. In the same manner, when you focus on the on the uh, subtle elements, you go through the same reasoning. That means you go through the same technique of having these three elements, three entities, like we said, Shabda, that will be word, Artha is the essential meaning, and Jnana is this, all the surrounding knowledge, okay? Which is, in your, which is in our memory anyway, all the time. So, but the only difference here is, instead of the gross aspect, we are focusing on the subtle aspect, but the concepts are the same. So it says in the same way, Savichara reflected. Savichara means we're focusing on the, the subtle elements and Nirvichara, Samadhi, which is practice upon subtle objects is explained. Okay. Or it is understood. Yakyata is either is understood or explained. That's the word here. Yakyata. Okay. 
so that's the uh, the next sutra uh, so from gross we move to the subtle essence of sound touch sight smell and taste remember there are these very subtle aspects of these uh, and that's what we are moving on to now so if you are chanting a mantra it has a sound attached to it so first it was the gross sound where you were able to actually create a sound in your mind you were able to get that sound okay so that was, you can think of that as the gross sound but then when you when you go deeper into your meditation then you don't they are not in a sense you are not hearing that sound anymore in your mind okay it becomes very subtle now it's just the the concept of that mantras okay that's what's going on it's a very subtle level now okay and that's what is happening here very subtle sound and very subtle meaning now so earlier let's say it was peace the meaning might have been a broad concept of peace all over at the very subtle level now what is the what's really the word peace mean to you what is the meaning of that word Yes. How would something like peace have that many gross? Well, the gross, gross in the sense that, let's say you you've been uh, fighting with your kids. I'm <laughs> just picking, okay. So at the gross level, in a sense, it is the broad picture. Oh, he said this, I said this. You know, to me that becomes a, like a gross level, okay. But at the subtle level, you have to kind of start thinking now. You know. in the beginning you'll have to think analyze what exactly is the cause root cause and then what peace means in that case it's a very subtle level now now you're not thinking of all the other stuff that was causing that thing you know he put he broke this or he did this or i did this you know you could think of that as a gross level and then go into deeper now forget about all that gross stuff go deeper okay something like that i'm just again these are my you know this is not perfect nobody is perfect actually nobody gives you very deep explanations but when i sit and think about it this is the best way i can think about these things so you're kind of past the random like thoughts that you have associated with that mantra that just keep popping through your head yes yeah, yeah. right Oh, I thought it might mean the gross aspect of the mantra itself. Like yeah, that's that's like, what I thought too. Yeah. Yeah, the sound piece. You know, the the I make the P first, and I say piece, and that's kind of the gross level of. Yes, that's, that's one aspect. aspect. That's one aspect. Well, other as you know, everything else that's going around, that's also gross in a way. Okay. Yeah. so you know there are uh, again uh, in the chart that we saw you know what they say is that if 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 this is the cause and this is the effect we said that it is going from from the cause to effect so prakriti okay all right that is the cause and mahat or the intellect is the effect so what they are saying is the cause is always subtler than the effect effect is always grosser than the cause right that's that's how we understand only only a very subtle thing can create something and then what create what is created is little bit grosser than that okay same thing so when 
When intellect creates the, the ego, the ego is more grosser than the intellect. When, uh, when the ego creates all these other elements, these 16 elements, then ego becomes the subtler part compared to all these things. And finally, when these five Tanmatras create these five great elements, so these great elements become the grossest in a sense. So earth, water, fire, air, and ether, they are at the grossest level, and then Tanmatras are subtler, ego is subtler than that, buddhi, intellect is subtler, and the prakriti at the subtlest level. Okay, cause and effect. That's how they go in the... Yeah. What I struggle with, Subhash, is this notion of creating. What something creates the other thing. What does that mean? Who knows? Yeah. I, I don't understand that. No, but I asked this, you know, when I was doing that course with... Uh, yeah, with... Uh, Philip Moss. Philip, yeah. I, I asked him this question. He says he doesn't understand. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he says he doesn't know exactly what's what what's going on. This, <laughs> you know, there are uh, Laura. You know, there are so many questions that remain unanswered, right? Yeah. You and I can talk separately about that, you know. But I have so many questions that are not answered, and right. no one to know them really. Right, right. Yeah, he's doing another one, I think, too. A series of lectures. Soon, a couple of them. On uh, on Sankhya? No. Uh, what is it? I'll look it up. I can't remember the title. I, I, I know. I know. I, I, I've seen that. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen that. What is it? Who is he? He's a, a professor at some German university, Philip Moss. Philip Moss. Mm -hmm. And he does a lot of these talks on different aspects of these. I'll put it in the chat. Yeah. yeah no, I, I've seen that. It, uh, I get his messages now. Yeah. yeah. But I, I didn't I didn't feel any interest in that. So. But I asked him and he said, no, he doesn't know. <laughs> but that's how they all explain it anyway. All right. So uh, so this is where we are. So subtle is that which is the cause of an effect. For example, five tanmatras, the sense perceptions are the cause for the five gross elements. That's what we said. So example, you know, if, if I see a piece of ice as solid matter, okay, right? So that, that's gross, right? What is the subtler part of that? It's deeper nature as water is, is subtler. You may not know, right? If you have never seen ice before, and if you see it for the first time, you have no idea what it is. You'll see, you will only think that it is something very a piece of solid which is cold and all that, right? If you know the reality, you know that at a, at a deeper level it's water. Okay. But then you go deeper into water. Okay, what caused the water? It was vapor in the early part. Before it even got it got into water, it was vapor, in form of clouds or whatever, you know. Wherever you form water, it has to be in the form of vapor first. So that that you know is a subtler level. And then what is vapor you know consisting of? Vapor has atoms, molecules, <laughs> all that other stuff, and you go into nano you know, particles and all that. But all these are subtler levels of, of being basically. And you can go as deep as you want. And that's where eventually everything seems one. And there's no difference in anything. Because everything is made of the same particles at the very at the very end. So same as for Samitarka, 
Savichara involves meditation intermingled with word, shabda, meaning, and knowledge. And in Nirvitarka, they focus only on the meaning. Everything else falls apart. Okay. All right. And then, you know, these commentators say that in Nirvichara, because you're only aware of the object of meditation at, the, at its very subtlest level, then you have lost content, or lost any concept of space and time at that point. There is no concept of space and time because you're not thinking what happened in the past, what happened in the future. That concept is gone. It's just one long period of oneness in, in your mind. There's no time at that point. You see, the, the deepest part of, of this meditation. Okay. So in this example of ice, you, you stop contemplating about ice coming from water and vapor, and then you just get down to the deeper essence of what. If you that, want to do that, yeah. That would be what would happen. Right. So like, you know, uh, I always like to give an example of a mango because I love mangoes, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, so if, I, if I'm meditating on a mango and I like it, for me, the essential meaning is its taste. That's, the, that's what I really like about a mango, right? So I can start with focusing on the gross aspect. What, it does, what does it look like, shape, touch, feel, taste, you know, uh, at the gross level. I have all that information now. That will be the, the Savitarka and Nirvitarka. All right. Now, to go into Savichara, in my mind, I'm going to peel off everything else. I don't even know it's a mango. I don't. The name doesn't matter anymore. Right? When I go to Nirvichara, right? I don't know what its shape is. I don't know what its color is. All I know is that subtle, sweet taste. Where is it coming from? Who cares? I love that taste and that's what is in my mind. And my mind also doesn't know that I'm the thinker, I'm, I'm the taster. Doesn't know. All that is in my mind is that taste at the subtlest level. And then when we go beyond that, because there is Ananda and Astita, you know, those are the two stages, where once you can Focus only on the taste, subtle aspect of taste, nothing else in mind. You can go beyond that. And then you, you recognize that all you have is a state of a kind of a blissful state in your mind. <laughs> it's just pure bliss at that point. Nothing else is going on in your mind. Because there is nothing going on, so there's no possibility of any disturbance, no possibility of getting any anxiety, there's nothing going on in the mind. So it's a natural state of bliss at that point. Okay. And if you can transcend even that state of bliss, then all you know is that I am, I exist. I am becomes a full sentence with a period after that. And you don't even say that I am blissful. No. I am. This is the, the kind of the, the progression that you may want to you, know, you may go through when you go deeper and deeper into meditation. Okay. So now again, you know, I already talked about this, but let's read the, the sutra here. And the sutra says, uh, and you can repeat after me, Sukshma Vishayatvam 
अलिंग पर्यवसानम सूक्ष्म अलिंग पर्यवसानम सो द होल कॉन्सेप्ट इज सूक्ष्म विषय इज द ऑब्जेक्ट सो दटी of the objects it keeps going farther and farther back until when erlinga now every you know like i said uh, these are the states of evolution so when i look at these five gross elements what do they point to they point to the five subtle elements right they point that that's where they came from that's the pointer right so this is called linga linga means a pointer a, a symbol it is pointing to something okay so this is a linga for the tanmatras linga means a pointer okay a label so to say or, or uh, indicator okay now these tanmatras are linga for ego so are these 11 sense perception sense organs They are a linga for the ego. Ego is a linga for the mahat or the intellect. Intellect is the is the linga for prakriti. That's what it's pointing to. And prakriti is a linga for what? Hmm? No. No. Prakriti is a linga for what? itself it has nothing else it has no linga it is not a linga for anything because it is by itself ever present so is purusha purusha and prakriti are you know ever present all the time there's not linga for anything okay that's what this sutra is saying that uh uh that sukshma vishayatvam be the subtlety of these objects it keeps going up and up and up until you reach alinga alinga means no linga there is prakriti okay so that's how far you can go into your own assessment into your own understanding of what you can focus on in terms of of subtlety okay so from all that certainly that i was talking about you know that uh, we took the mango example okay the taste eventually you go into the state of ahankara yeah right that's where all this came from in the beginning so my ego is the one which was deciding that it's the it's the taste is good it's bad and all that and it, it has some memories and all that but from there i focus on my intellect which says over about it good or bad it's just there and then when you go back to and merge into prakriti nothing else is there it's pure bliss pure pure i mean pure i amness nothing else exists at that point okay so so this whole concept of concept of cause and effect the this the technical term for that is satkarya vada satkarya vada you don't have to worry about it but that's the technical term used in sankhya okay which says every manifest effect is pre existent 
in its cause. A common example they give is, you know, yogurt. <laughs> yogurt pre-exists in its cause called milk. Okay. Butter has pre-existence in its cause called yogurt. Things like that. Ghee is pre-existent in its cause called butter. Yeah. <laughs> Very common example. And every cause is subtler. We already saw that. Gross subtle pairs are the earth, smell, water is taste. So earth is gross, smell is subtler, etc. Tanmatra is subtle, ahankara is subtler. We already went through this. Okay? And linga is that which points to and eventually can merge back into its cause. And prakriti, like I said, it's a linga. A means not, it's not a pointer, it's not a label for anything. It's without a cause, and it's subtlest of these entire concept of prakriti elements, the 23 elements. Okay? And Purusha undergoes no change. Is the efficient cause? Uh, that's not true. Uh, it undergoes no change. It has not, it's not the cause for, uh, I don't know where I got this. Purusha is not the cause for anything at all. Not the efficient cause or, that's wrong, not right. Purusha undergoes no change. Say it is not cause or effect or anything. I don't know where I got that from. That's not right. Okay, so that is the sutra on on understanding how far, how deep we can go into this chain of, of gross and subtle. Okay. So this one, all it's saying is that, you know, all these stages that we have gone through of Samadhi, they all have a seed, an object of meditation. So no matter how subtle you go into, there's something in there. Okay? There's always that subtle uh, seed or whatever you have thought about, that's still there. So all these samadhis are sabija, with seed, which would, the, the whole idea is that if the seed is there, even though it may be very, very, very subtle, it can still sprout at some time. <laughs> if given the right condition, some trigger happens and, you know, something happens and still your mind will be again back to normal, back to your, uh, all the things that we have been doing. So there's all sabija. Sa means with seed. So all these six samadhis that we have talked about are called, uh, the object of meditation is called a seed. Okay, so we said savitarka, nirvitarka, savichara, nirvichara. So these two savitarka, nirvitarka are gross aspect, savichara, nirvichara on the subtle aspects, and then ananda is bliss, asmita is I am pure essence of being. Okay. And most commentators, even the Patanjali doesn't say that, Ananda and Asmita can be considered higher stages of Nirvichara Samadhi, or the subtle Samadhi. Okay. So the seed, it represents the samskara, which is the impression in the mind. 
whatever we are, actually anything that goes on in the mind, whether it's meditation or non-meditation, any experience you have, everything leaves an impression in the mind. That's what is called a samskara. Okay, and the object of meditation could be anything. You can have a mantra or anything. You can have an observer observed, or the instrument of observation. You can have anything as the object of meditation. All right. So this is what well, we kind of talked about. These is the repetition. And uh, then what he says is. When you attain the, you can let me read the, the sutra first. So you can repeat after me. Nirvichara Vaisharadde. I'm sorry. Adhyatma Prasadaha. So Nirvichara Vaisharadde Adhyatma Prasadaha. That's the whole sutra. So in the purity of nirvichara samadhi, the inner self shines. Okay. The word prasadaha means a sense of inner joy, a sense of inner peace, a sense of satisfaction. You know, lots of different meanings of prasada. And adhyatma means inner. Adhyatma means inside, inward peace. Basically, what you're saying is when you reach the Ultimate state of nirvichara. Vaishara then means when you have reached the ultimate state. Vaishara. Okay. So that's the final state of nirvichara, subtle uh, concept of meditation. That brings about adhyatma prasada, which means a very peaceful, calm you know, state of the mind. Okay. That's the literal meaning here. So in the purity of nirvachara, rajas and tamas, you know, these are the gunas that normally have all kinds of uh, perturbations in the mind, they go down at that point. Because once they are down, they are removed, then the sattva guna, which is the pure sattva guna, that shines through. Okay? And when that happens, then there's no nothing. Rajas is the only one which works with the ego to color things, right? And there's no rajas and tamas, no coloring. Then, as you as you see, what you see is what you get, basically. And they say, "Why is he big and computer terminology?" Right? So that's what it is. Then objects are then perceived in their true form, and ego has been subdued. We are able to see our pure, true nature. Okay, just pure consciousness, purusha. Basically, then now is the time when we can start seeing that purusha and prakriti are two separate entities not mingled, intermingled with each other as we know it now. Okay, so that purity will bring about that understanding of the separation, which is called the, the state of liberation. That's what it is all about. All right, so what happens at that stage when you, are, when you have reached this ultimate stage of, of nirvichara, then he says that, uh, let me read the sutra first. It says, Ritambhara Tatra Pragna. Ritambhara Tatra Pragna. Now, Pragna is the word used by Patanjali. Of course, Patanjali has used it, and many other people in the old texts also they use it. It means pure wisdom, basically, the clean, pure intellectual wisdom. That's called Pragna. Okay? 
which knows everything as it should be. That's Pragya. Now, Ritambhara is another uh, interesting word. It is, uh, it is used in the ancient Vedas. In the Vedas, in the ancient texts, right, called Vedas, it is used generally, and that's my understanding, it's used generally to represent the truth about this world order, you can say, universal order. What's the order? Uh, stars, their galaxies, their sun and moons, and their, everything is moving in a perfectly beautiful, rhythmic fashion. Everything is perfectly controlled. Nothing ever changes. Our clocks are all synchronized with the sun's movements. You know, so it doesn't change. It hasn't changed for millions of years. So that's what it is. And that, that truth, which tells us that there's something is maintaining that, there's something be behind all this maintenance, that truth is called Ritam. 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 The word Rita is used. Ritam Bhara is full of that truth. Okay. But then subsequently, what I see, the word Rita has also begun, you know, this meaning is pure truth, something that's the ultimate truth. Okay. Not just the, the whole world order that it, inclusive of the world order, but even beyond that. Okay. So, our wisdom, our true wisdom is now full of that truth. That's what it means. Ritambhara. It's full, it's completely filled with that ultimate truth which we are looking for. So this the Ritambhara or the intuitive wisdom containing the highest experience of truth. Okay? So the word Rita means truth realized through deep meditation, perfect, unalloyed, also represented truth behind world order, universal order, as I said. It cannot be acquired simply through studying scriptures or through logical reasoning. It can only be acquired through deep meditation. Okay? In this Nirvichara Samadhi, the knowledge gained called Pragya is filled with this supreme truth. That's what we talked about. This is the ultimate supreme truth, and now we know the ultimate truth. <laughs> In this purified state of the mind, very pure. And this truth is very special. Okay, let me read the, me read the sutra here. It says, Shruta Anumana Pragyabhyam Anya Vishaya Vishesha Arthatvat Arthatvat. <laughs> Okay, so, that's the whole sentence. Okay. So, what does it mean here? It says that this pragya, okay, this pragya that we just talked about, this one which has all the truth in it, it is. It is. It cannot be attained through shruta or anumana. Now, this will have to bring us back to our very first chapter, first few sutras in there. Remember, there was a whole sutra which talked about uh, pramana. Does anybody remember that? Five kleshas, uh, five uh, vrittis. You remember them, Laura? Five Vrittis? <laughs> yeah. 
Can you re recite the five rittis? Oh, uh, let's see. Namana Vipariya Vikalpa. No. Yeah, 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 you're right. You're right. Go, go. Shmriti and. Uh, Nidra. Nidra. Yeah, sleep. Yeah. Namana Vipariya Vikalpa Shmriti Nidra Smitraya. Yeah. Nidra Smitraya. Yeah. So those are the five vrittis, those are the, the five causes for everything that goes on in the mind. That's what causes all the fluctuation changes in the mind. The first one was pramana, okay? So pramana is, is the, the actual knowledge that we can get through for, for anything. But then there are three subdivisions of pramana. Does anybody remember that? Do you remember that, Laura? <laughs> Gosh, I have to remember. Pramana... Uh, let's see. Anumana, uh, it's um, geez, it's like uh, what is heard and what is um. Pratyaksha anumana. Pratyaksha anumana. Uh, agama pramana ni. Pratyaksha praman. Pratyaksha anumana agama. So there are three ways of getting this knowledge. Pratyaksha. Direct, direct perception, inference, and um being told by somebody. Right, that's what he's talking about now. So, Shruta is Agama, basically. Here, the word Shruta means what you hear from somebody, either through scripture, through Vedas, Upanishads, or through somebody else who you trust. That's Shruta. Anumana is inferential knowledge, okay? So, what he's saying is, look, we told you that Pramana or the, or, or, or the Knowledge you can gain is through these three, Pratyaksha, Anumana, and Agama, through direct perception, through inference, and through somebody else telling you or somebody or some, some scripture telling you, okay? But this Pradya cannot be attained through Shruta or Anumana. Shruta is, like I said, the, the, the word or the Agama or the word that somebody tells you or the Vedas or Upanishads or the ancient scripture. They cannot give you this knowledge. Inference cannot give you this knowledge because what they are telling us, it can only be a very general knowledge, very general information. They cannot be specific about anything else. How can they be specific? If they don't know what you're talking about. Are they just describing a process that yeah. you should be... I mean, they're, they're giving us knowledge. They, they will tell us, okay, uh, you are... You are your pure Brahman, your pure consciousness. That's what the text will tell us, right? By just telling, by their telling us, do I become that? How do I get that knowledge? It's only through pure personal experience. You know, if they might tell it a million times that you are pure consciousness, I'm still going to fight with my kids. I'm still going to uh, tell a lie. I'm still going to be angry, you know? That doesn't mean anything. Unless I have that experience from inner, my, my own inner uh, awakening, as they call it. So this, that's the, the concept that they are telling us here. That look, you can get general information from both those sources. But the true prajna that we are talking about is only experiential. Because it is so subtle. 
because it has a very special meaning. means it's it's a very it's very special. It's not general. It's very very specific knowledge, and that's only pure experience. So that's why it says that this special truth is totally different from knowledge gained by hearing, study of scriptures, or inference. Okay. Nice sutra. Give us a good idea as to why we are not able to trust anything until we have pure personal experience. So reading or listening to scriptures cannot bring about true wisdom. They lead to generalities. Only in deep states of meditation can we gain true wisdom. Pragna, as we mentioned earlier. Pragna is the pure intuitive wisdom which is obtained, which is obtained by cleansing the mind of all the garbage and then understanding the reality and the real truth. And constant practice of these eight limbs of yoga and dispassion of Vairagya only can lead us to this self-realization. Okay? Constant practice. All right. and only this truth-bearing wisdom, this prajna that we talked talk about, Ritambhara, because it, it's, it contains the ultimate truth, that's the only one that gives us liberation. Liberation means, the word uses kaivalya. Fat, dumb, and happy, as they say, no, nothing to worry about. <laughs> it's kind of like the story about the Buddha. Uh-huh. You know, he did all that stuff yeah. For years. Years, yeah. And then he just goes and sits under that tree. Yeah, I get that. But all those years had been leading him up to something. Yeah, I mean, he tried everything, right? He tried going without food. He tried working hard, doing asana. I mean, everything he tried. Nothing worked. But eventually he just let everything go and just be there. <laughs> Self-realization. Okay, so now uh, I think we'll, uh, if it's okay, we'll, we'll finish it today. I think that's all. We don't have much more to do. So this is number 50 now. Let me read the sutra here. Tajjaha, Sanskaraha, Anya, Sanskara, Pratibandhi. So, Tajjaha Sanskaraha Anya Sanskara Pratibandhi. That's the statement here. Sanskara. Sanskara are the impressions that we carry in our mind. Every, like I said, every experience that we have, it creates an impression in the mind. Everyone knows that, right? Creates an impression in the mind. And even that state of pragya when we have, even that creates an impression in the mind. Even that's an experience. That's an experience of realizing the ultimate truth. That's an experience. So that also creates an impression. What it's saying is that the impression produced by this truth-bearing knowledge, this pragya, it inhibits all other impressions. It's so powerful at that point that it does not allow the others to wave their ugly head up. Basically, that's what it's saying. Okay. It is so powerful okay. because it has come about after such a long, you know, arduous process of meditation for years, for lifetime, for lifetimes, you know, and 
Once that happens, now we have solid, you know, stuff in the mind and what, what it can suppress almost everything. Okay. So what it says is the latent depression of, of Nirvichara Samadhi, okay, that inhibits from impressions from mundane day-to-day -day activity. So they, they won't have the, the power to come up. That will help subdue all unnecessary fluctuations of the mind. And it opens the door to the final state of nirbija or the seedless samadhi. Okay, so what we're saying here is that once we have attained that state of pragya, which is the container for the ultimate truth, that supreme truth, when that experience happens, that samskara, that impression in the mind can suppress everything else. Okay. And now when that happens, there's no more samskara. And then at that point, you don't even need the seed. So you can get rid of the seed eventually. Okay, so that's what the last sutra is. So let me read the sutra, you can repeat. Tasyapi nirodhe sarva nirodhat nirbijaha samadhi tasyapi nirodhe sarva nirodha nirbijaha samadhi final okay. so even you know so like i said the samskara the impression that's left by this prajna this final state of the mind which is full of truth nothing but truth that samskara will inhibit all the others and he says, eventually, even that sanskara will go away. It will become, even, you don't need that. <laughs> will it ever happen for us? Who knows? <laughs> Not in this life, but that's the whole uh, uh, purpose of, of yoga is to eventually reach this nirvi samadhi. Okay, so, uh, so that's the goal here. Seedless, all right. So it says when even the native impression of the truth, bearing wisdom, prajna are made inactive, nirvija or seedless samadhi happens. All contact with prakriti is lost, and the mind has no more function. The mind has accomplished its job of providing material experience and finally liberation to the purusha. And purusha becomes simply aware of itself; it doesn't need anything else. No concept of time and space, and yogi can decide to come back to prakriti awareness to continue with day-to-day -day life, but without any attachments. <laughs> okay. So that's pretty much all that I have. Uh, you know, like I said, this has taken us two years. Let me stop this share and can talk and then see if any of you have any thoughts, comments, feedback, any questions. I didn't notice the chat because I was. So, so Subhash, you have a quick question. Yeah, yeah, please. So uh, when, when a yogi do samadhi, they do it to attain that self-consciousness, not to get back to the day-to-day -day life, right? So, um, well, what we're saying is, once you attain that state of Kaivalya, okay, right, when, when you attain the state of self-realization, 
you, you still have to live your life. You might attain that state, you know, you are, you might be either sitting in a, in a temple or a cave or whatever, but you could, you could even be working in a, in a company. You could still be raising a family. But, but you have been meditating for such a long time and your, your past life experience have helped you because you've, you've been a great meditator in the past life. And so you are already at a state where it, it, it's a small effort that you can attain liberation. You, you attain that liberation, but now you go back to living your life. So this is, you know, in, in, the, in the concept of yoga, in the concept of uh, Vedanta, they call it the person who is living and liberated. So, so you probably would be living day to day, but you wouldn't be having all these attachments to no attachments whatsoever of, of all these day to day activities of, yes. that you create know, this terminal in your mind. Right, yes. Jivan Mukta, right? So that's called Jivan Mukta. Yeah, that's the term they use. Jivan, Jivan means he's living. Mukta means liberated. You're, because you know the, the the whole concept of karma, right? There's something called prarabdha karma. We are born with that. And that prarabdha karma, you know, we have to exhaust that. Whether it takes us 20 more years or, or 100 more years, it doesn't matter. You have to live that through. Okay, and then uh, once that prarabdha karma is gone and we, are, we finally are able to discard our physical body, there's no more rebirth because you have already been liberated now. That's called jivan mukta. So that's the goal. <laughs> Any other thoughts, questions, comments? So this Kenopanishad, right? If I'm saying it right, so uh, I was reading it some pages of it uh, in some book. So there's concept when baby is born, so it gets that prarabdha karma. Uh, he he builds, he or she builds his own karma throughout the life. Mm -hmm. uh, so there was this uh, certain mantras that uh, when baby is in the womb that when they kind of hear those uh, that that uh, progression fr uh, from original Tarabdha to a uh, better state for this life uh, I'm not sure if, if I know it completely but something like that is what I read yes yes very true very accurate yeah so you're born with prarabdha, and then of course you're doing the agami karma because you're adding your own karma into in, in this life. And again, those could be good or bad karma, and then again it will build up all the karmashaya or the or the bag of karmas. Okay, and then keep fructifying in future lives until you get liberated finally. Yeah. All right. Any other thoughts? Any any thoughts from you, Ashley? You, I do. <laughs> I have a question. Yeah. Are you able to give like an example? I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing the word correctly, but Purushua. Am I saying that right? Purusha. Yeah. Purusha. is the word for our pure consciousness. The, the, what they say is that you know there are these two entities, Purusha and Prakriti. And if I look at my body, mind, intellect, everything, that's that's a part of Prakriti. Okay. But then there is this pure consciousness, which is my true reality. I am really speaking, I am only pure consciousness. 
that consciousness never dies it never it never was born but then it gets entangled with this prakriti with my mind and body with my ego and all that and because of that entanglement it believes that it is it is in pain or it is in suffering or it start experiencing life and then it goes through this whole cycle of birth death rebirth and all that that's purusha but then purusha means literally that it's this in english you can call it the soul s o u l okay and i am pure soul nothing but pure soul but then i don't know that because of my my ignorance i don't know that i'm the pure soul so i feel that i'm entangled with this ego with this intellect and i believe and behave that way you know interesting thank you okay you're welcome it's like you know they say they give the example that uh, that a, a, a tiger cub was uh, stolen by or taken away by by the wolves <laughs> and he started living with the wolves and he grew up as a wolf he didn't even know that he was a tiger so he was behaving like a like a wolf and talking like a wolf and his sound was like a wolf almost and then one day you know a big lion came there and you know he saw this little tiger sitting in, in along with these wolves and he said what the hell are you doing here what do you mean i'm what i'm doing here i'm part of this family he said you stupid fool you don't know who you are come come with me so he took him with him and took him to the river where he could see his own reflection now so do you look like them or do you look like look like me <laughs> so then he realized into his true reality as to who he was what he was you know and he started uh, you know making the sound of a lion now <laughs> or you are the tiger <laughs> so you know it's just like that you know i'm i'm so deeply engrossed in my own little word and it's all entanglement with the ego and and and, and the uh, and the intellect and mind and all the five senses and so i'm attached to everything the work that i do the work that i don't do i'm attached to everything and that's the attachment you want to get rid of eventually to to become realized okay that makes sense Yeah, definitely. Uh, so, let's let's do our. We always do at the end for five minutes of quiet time with the eyes closed. All right. Okay. Let's do that. Five minutes of quiet time.
closing mantras now. <clears throat> Let's recite Om once now, deep inhalation. The invocation to Patanjali. Yogena chittasya padena vacham malam sharirasya chavadya kena yopakarotam pravaran muninam patanjalim pranjaliran Patanjalim Om Asatoma Sadgamaya Tamasoma Jyotirgamaya Nityorma Amitam Gamaya Om Shanti 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 Thank you all.